Whether you're starting a game or starting your day, you need to pick a starting lineup, and you're going to want the starter from Jack Black. Loaded with the superior skincare the pros love, Kings fans can get the starter for just $10, shipping included. Available exclusively at GetJackBlack.com with the code TEAMJB, the starter has four of Jack Black's best-selling skincare and shave products, plus a full-sized intense therapy lip balm, SPF 25, in natural mint. Here's to the winning combination for 2022, the LA Kings and the starter from Jack Black. $10 plus free shipping, available at GetJackBlack.com with the code TEAMJB while supplies last. You're listening to an LA Kings podcast. For more episodes of this and every other Kings program, visit LAKings.com slash podcast. You're listening to All the Kings Men, the official podcast of the LA Kings. Now, here's your host, Jesse Cohen. Welcome back, Kings fans. I am Jesse Cohen. This is All the Kings Men. We are 12 days away from seeing professional hockey players competing in Kings jerseys, and it really just can't come fast enough. On today's episode, we have a look at the latest installment of the NHL video game franchise from EA Sports, and then an interview that I recorded almost a year ago and struggled to find the proper time to play on an episode. It's with a singer-songwriter named Wally Pleasant, and uh, I spent a very long time tracking him down, and I was very, very excited to get to talk to him finally. At the end of the episode, we'll play two of his songs, Sons of Bob Dylan and Stupid Day Job. If you want a little idea of who I was when I was a teenager, not sure why you would, but if you want it, uh, I was listening to songs like that on the Dr. Demento Show. Hope you enjoy. Joining me now, creative director of EA Sports NHL franchise, Mike Engelhardt. How are you doing today, Mike? Good, Jesse. Happy to be here. So, Mike, right off the start, I've got to ask, this is a Kings podcast. Uh, this is the official podcast of the LA Kings. Did it have to be Trevor Zegers? Like there wasn't, it couldn't be like Kale McCarr or Jack Hughes. Like it had to be a duck. Oh, I mean, it wasn't, wasn't done with the LA Kings in mind. So you don't have to, you don't have to <laughs> well, worry about taking that. That, that hurts my feelings <laughs> even more. <laughs> oh. um, I mean, a lot goes into how the cover athlete gets. It's, it's a, it's a long process, but I mean, um, in the end, uh, both Trevor and Sarah, they're really heading up that. Um, I mean, there, there's other people that that mm-hmm. could deserve to be on the cover, of course, and it's going to be different every year. But they're on that front wave of of um, both what we feel is a more inclusive and expressive future of the game. Obviously, Trevor uh, across tons of highlight reels last year with his uh, you know hands that he has, and, and as a Sabres fan. Trust me, uh, there's pain there as well because his Zegers flip was against my boys. And so I got to live that out through the cycle here as putting the game together. And uh, for Sarah, obviously, um, you know, what she accomplished uh, in this past year and what she represents. And um, we're really trying to head up where hockey is going and, and be on the cutting edge. And, and we're excited that they're both on the cover. And we think they embody both the sport of hockey very well, uh, as well as where we're trying to take the franchise. You may already know this, but Daniel Armbruster, main singer or lead singer, excuse me, and I believe writer of most of uh, Joy Wave's music, is uh, also a Sabres fan. Oh, I, did, I did not know that. Well, there you go. And now you have uh, <laughs> a reason to reach out to Joy Wave. Uh, we've <laughs> had him on a couple of times. Huge Sabres fan. Um, you and he could commiserate. Now, one final, <laughs> final question, um, complaining about the existence of the Ducks. Um, I noticed now this is going back a few years, but I was uh, editing my uh, building in uh, franchise mode, I think for mm-hmm. NHL 21. 
And it gives you the option at the end to, you know, preview the building and you can move the camera around and look at all the details. And even though I had made a building with, you know, one of the custom logos and everything, there's a there's a hockey puck on the ice in the preview mode. And if you adjust the camera and zoom in on the puck, there's a Ducks logo on it. And why is that? Well, that's before my time. So All I'm right. going to have to, to <laughs> take the scapegoat on that one. But I can ask the team and, and get back to you with why. All right. That so. always, that always, man, like I said, hurt my feelings a little bit. Um, but let's talk about NHL 23 because it is the newest chapter in a franchise that uh, that goes back, gosh, a very long time. I mean, I can remember playing at uh, NHL 94, I think, and uh, and even before that. But you've now, uh, you've got cross-platform play, is that correct? Yeah, we're, uh, cross-platform matchmaking is, okay. is what it is for 23, yeah. All right, and and what was the what was the decision-making process behind making that a priority? Well, I mean, so, I mean, like you, I, I've been playing this game since, since inception uh, mm. on the Sega Genesis, what, back when it was just called uh, NHL Hockey, so it's uh, right. it's really cool to be on the other side of the, the fence now, and being the, I've been calling myself the new kid on the block here as we've been going through the, the press and the media stuff. Um, there's an importance in focusing on foundation and we can always add a huge range of things to, to the game every single year, but obviously um, ensuring that we're enabling players to have a chance to have a better online experience where a lot of um, players point, I mean, our social experiences in world of Chell are some of the most engaging experiences in the game. And we need to start answering uh, that request that's out there and, and allowing people to have shorter matchmaking times, better matchmaking quality. And while we're not going to get absolutely everything in the crossplay bucket this year, it is a focus and it will be something that we tick off. And, and we're starting with cross-platform matchmaking, which should improve a lot of the uh, complaints people have had about not being able to find games in a, a fast enough fashion within the title. I can't speak for everybody, but during COVID, during the shutdown, um, one reliable source of socializing that I was able to do was playing video games with my friends from 10 p.m. to midnight every night, you know, for two years or whatever. So we were doing it already before that, and we've continued to do it after that. But that became, right, my primary source of socializing. Did mm-hmm. you guys have, I mean, how much, how much did all of your strategies or even the way you look at making a game change as a result of the things we all learned during that period of time. Well, I think even, so again, you know, I joined the company in uh, September of last year. So, but I mean, I was working, I've been in games for 22 years, so I got a chance to live out um, how the pandemic affected gaming Mm -hmm. and social gaming, if anything um, is it's something that's also on the leading edge and it's a way that people connect now more than ever, obviously in the pandemic when we we're all limited to our homes and couldn't go out and do the things we wanted to do in person. It became, as you said, a primary source of interaction. So, um, you know, that aside, I think you also have to look at a product and go, where, where do we need again to build a foundation that's missing and knowing that people love to get together and chill um, and love to connect and be, it doesn't matter where you're on the world, your friends can be displaced. We want to be able to let you get on the ice together we have to make that experience better. And a lot of that was uh, where the reasoning came from this year. Again, there's tons of things we always want to add to the game, tons of things that the community uh, is passing along. But I think also there's this relationship where um, when you're hearing the same thing over and over again, I think it's time to pay attention to that and build that there and then get to the additional stuff after. Because if you keep adding more features, but you can't allow people to properly play together, it's not really going to have the effect that we're looking for. 
All right, let's talk about last chance puck movement because uh, it looked very cool in the preview. Um, but I imagine it's incredibly difficult to include something like that in the game. What, how long ago was that inclusion thought up? Well, there, so there's been, again, um, you know, it haven't been 12 months for me here, but I've, I've learned as much as I can in the first cycle. Um, there's a term that's used called stun lock, uh, which has affected the game in previous iterations. So if you and I are playing against each other and you have possession of the puck and I just give you the slightest nudge, the second that that puck is separated from your, your player, you're paralyzed. There's nothing you can do. And in many cases, that puck is still what we call it's in an ownable position. So if this was in the real game of hockey, whether it's beer league, NHL, um, if that puck is still at your feet or within front of you, you have a chance to make a play on it. So we wanted to not only make sure that that part of the game is there, but remove this paralysis that people feel when they get nudged off the puck. Of course, the second you put something like this in, your first instinct is we don't want to have people belly flopping, uh, you know, like right. an epidemic on the ice and you're just seeing nothing but belly flopping goals. Um, and so there was a lot of work that the gameplay team put into finding the right balance to where um, this complements the game. It's authentic in terms of what it looks like when it happens, but it's not happening all the time. Um Game features are interesting because they go through a lot of evolution as you're building them, especially gameplay. Uh, in the end, I think we have something that's really well balanced and it's going to complement and have those highlight real moments that are going to get people uh, off the couch. So I think that in the end, we accomplish what we set out to do. Now, it's billed as the most authentic and immersive NHL game ever. And we're just talking about, you know, attempts to make the game more realistic. But at some level, it is a video game. Mm hmm. Um, and obviously what you want out of a video game is not the same as what you want out of an experience watching a game. So, mm -hmm. you know, I understand the technical elements of this game must be incredibly complex, but as far as like the artistic elements or, or I don't know if that's not even the entertainment aspects, um, are there separate teams? You know, is there, a, is there an entertainment division that, that comes up with a concept and then, you know, requires that the technical team come up with a way to execute it or is it all done in tandem is it the same group of people so there's different strike teams uh so again we'll have a gameplay strike team that will focus primarily on the new gameplay features for the cycle uh there's a presentation team which uh this year headed up a lot of the new crowd systems we have in the game um bringing bringing in the hat trick celebration uh new overtime shootout celebration so they handle the emotion if you will of the experience um, we have teams for hockey ultimate team. We do have uh, technical teams. So there, while we do have these different strike teams set up, any feature that is cross pollinated and touches dependencies in different teams, those groups will will interact. But each group is responsible for creating their own um, vision against our uh, plan for the year and trying to connect into what we're trying to accomplish as a team. So it's a fairly big team with a lot of coordination. That's where somebody like me comes in to try to connect all the dots and bring everything together to one uh, cohesive vision, but they all have their own initiatives that they're trying to accomplish based on the direction of the franchise. For whatever reason, I never got into HUT. Um, when I came back to gaming, I think it was NHL 15 when I had been gone for a few years, came back into it, found a group of guys that played every night and they invited me in and, and, but it was always just, you know, casual. It wasn't, it wasn't hot. Um, franchise mode is something that i've recently been getting back into mm -hmm. 
uh, I see here that there's a, a bunch of new additions to franchise mode. Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. So what have we, I mean, franchise mode was already overwhelming. Like you could set hot for those who are, have no idea what I'm talking about in franchise <laughs> mode, you assume control of an NHL franchise and simulate out, you know, up to 25 seasons. You can set the price of a, a hot dog, the price of a sweatshirt. You can build additional bathrooms in your building. I turned all that stuff off. I was just interested in the players and the, and the contracts, but what are some of the new, inclusions in franchise mode so this year with custom franchise mode essentially you can craft the uh, experience to really match how you want to play so that stuff all stays there and again you can toggle that on and off mm -hmm. nothing has changed there but this is really about focusing in on and, and like you I, i've grown up uh, a franchise player as well uh being a fan of the series and the one thing that i always had an issue with was I don't necessarily always have the time to play through all 82 games right. in a regular season and with well no time is a uh, it's a commodity that has mm -hmm. different value to different people. If you have a family, obviously, you've got to prioritize certain things. So now you can go in and you can create basically your own NHL. So if you want to distill it down to six teams um, mm. and combine that with our uh, roster sharing from last year, if somebody wants to go away and make the original six rosters from years gone by, you can play out your own original six season. If you want to look into the future and make a 48-team NHL um, <laughs> where expansion has gone gone crazy, maybe it's gone across the pond into, into Europe, finally you can do that uh the number of games that you want to play um how you qualify for playoffs the playoff format uh i personally have been having a lot of fun getting to what i think should be in the nhl which is the three two one point system where no points for a loss three for regulation two for shootout uh, sorry two for overtime one for shootout because i think it would just make a better product at the end of the day so we give you all of that um, control, there's salary cap controls, and you decide how you want to play out the game. I think what's really cool is if you don't have the time to play out 82 and you don't want to simulate games, you can now set up a length that will um, uh, play into your own play style and your time consumption. Or again, get creative and maybe just want to make like an East Coast NHL or a West Coast NHL. It's literally up to you. We put the power in the player's hands. And I think it's a really, really fun change to the mode. Now, this is just my own personal uh, thing, but I know in franchise mode, currently you can do, you know, your AHL team uh, at the same time as your NHL team. Uh, mm -hmm. Is ECHL ever included in that? No, not currently. Okay. It's just, just All right. AHL. All right. Um, let's then talk about uh, the inclusion of the women's game this time. Mm -hmm. um, video games represent an amazing opportunity for the game of hockey to reach a new audience, right? Like it's, it, I know more people who like NHL, the NHL franchise, than I know people. Well, that's not true. I know a lot of people who like hockey. I work in it. But <laughs> but but in my friends who don't work inside of hockey, I know more people with more experience playing the NHL franchise than watching mm -hmm. the actual games. Um, what was the what was the market motivation to include the, the women's league or the women's teams in, in this year's uh, iteration? Well, I guess, you know, so they're they're going to be in Hockey Ultimate Team for the first time. Mm -hmm. And obviously they they appeared in the product last year. And I think, you know, again, uh, in my family, my sister has grown up playing hockey. And um, there's this concept of, of can you see yourself in the game? And so I think by including the women's game in our product, there's a whole range of, of women gamers out there who don't have that extension for what relates to them at the end of the day. So I think there's a nice connection now to many more people can find their way into the product and, and find a representation that, that relates to them. Obviously in hockey ultimate team, it's a fantasy team building mode. So 
whether it's, you know, we have a lot of historic players in that mode and, and now the women's game gets included. It's up to you to build what you want to build. And so it, it opens up more opportunities. I think it brings recognition towards uh, what's happening with the women's game. And let's not forget, it was a, an NHL All-Star game not many years ago where um, the women participated. And and let's be frank, there, there are women players that are faster than men in the NHL. Um, so I think there's also this place where, these these players can now come on the ice. They're either going to go toe to toe. They're going to be side by side. It's going to be interesting to see how those teams come to life. And uh, I really think it's just the the beginning with this venture and and how we can continue to be inclusive uh, overall with the sport of hockey. One thing that I've run into, uh, everybody runs into, anybody who plays video games online occasionally will run into a uh, less than savory element of uh, of video game players. Um, friends of mine and I used to play uh, EASHL a few years ago, mm-hmm. and the team names and the player names got fairly out of control uh, at mm-hmm. times. I know that NHL, the NHL franchise, EA Sports, has made a, a concerted effort to cut down on that and to and to make it as uncomfortable as possible for people to attempt that kind of stuff. Uh, how are those efforts going moving forward? I mean, it's going to be a continuous effort uh, mm-hmm. for things like that. Um, unfortunately, uh, some players will find a way to yeah. uh, express themselves in unfavorable fashion. But we're we're looking at all toxic behavior. We want to make it as fun as possible. Uh, again, I think it's impossible to remove absolutely everything because, again, players morph and, and evolve. But it's a continuous effort. Every year, this is a, a, an area of the game we look at. And something that we'll we'll never stop looking at because I think there's a uh, you know there's a final destination we want to get to, and unfortunately because things change with how players behave, we have to uh, stay up with it and, and make it a continual focus. Was uh, NHL 22 the first year that the that you guys used frostbite? Yes. Okay. So when I, when it switched from 21 to 22 and frostbite kicked in, my first thought, being relatively unaware of most of the gaming world i play my video games but i don't pay rapt attention i sort of shrugged and i went new physics engine i don't know what that means couldn't possibly make a difference to me i started playing nhl 22 and it was so different and so jarring um that it took me a while to really wrap my brain around it are there any is there like another physics engine coming down the road and on top of that here's a really insane question what is the physics engine <laughs> and why move from one to the other well as far as again that transition from 21 to 22 and anything there was before before my time so unfortunately i don't have a ton of good insight on that as far okay. as what a physics engine is i mean at the end of the day i think any good sports game and a lot of the sports titles i've worked on historically um live and die by really good physics um the one thing that makes sports really interesting uh, you know, day to day, season to season in real life is it's the it's the interesting balances. It's the the things that you don't expect to see that happen that that create those memorable moments. And when you're creating a sports game, having that unpredictable nature to how a puck or a ball bounces, I think is very integral to a sports game, having that replay value over time. And um, this year, again, there was nothing new as far as physics went this year from a new engine standpoint in uh, 23. But we did spend a lot of time looking at uh, things like such as the way that that goalies deal with pucks, pucks coming off the goalie, trying to create 
uh, more of those memorable moments. Like to be quite honest, I'm hoping people find their way into the replay buffer more time with 23 and see some saves that I think are going to catch people's attention. Stuck pucks that goalies get to and and tip away from the net that you haven't seen in previous years. So um, it's something I'm super passionate about. Gameplay is something I take a, a lot of pride in and something I care a lot about because I understand it's the heartbeat of our of our product and we'll continue to look at efforts to make the game as representative as possible by ensuring the physics play the, the right part in the experience. Now I am a, uh, you know, mature professional man in his mid forties. So of course I play Fortnite with my friends all night. <laughs> um, and I understand I, the words I'm about to use. I don't necessarily know what they mean, but I understand that in a game like Fortnite, you have what's known as a hitbox, right? And so mm-hmm. regardless of what, the character you're controlling on the screen looks like it's really just a square as far as the computer's concerned and there's no extra weight or size difference it just looks different in in the nhl series i've always wondered this how minute are the measurements like if the puck bounces off a goalie stick like in the saves you were talking about how much information is going into that like is the puck really a separate set of data points traveling and and is the stick a different set of data points you know is there actual interaction between these items or is it just an animation meant to represent you know the most likely outcome of what's happening no it's it's a very it's a very advanced system there's a lot of math uh that's going into uh save so again like uh throughout the course of production as an example seeing cross crease uh trapper saves that literally just nick the outside of the glove um that's not a, um, uh, it's a very specific uh, collision volume that stretches around the glove so that you can get just the tips of the of the thread on the outside of the glove knocking the puck away or the, the tip of the skate blade. So it is a very advanced system. I mean, this, this engine has a number of years on it. Uh, it's not something that's been built. So that allows you to put in more layers. And again, even for me, there's so much more to unlock. Like it, it's a continuous sort of uh, treasure hunt going through the engine, trying to understand exactly how all of it works and, and what it relates to. But it's uh, it's a fairly advanced system with with a lot of different elements that play into it, which again, makes it tuning it. Uh, at times, you have to be very um, uh, focused with how you tune it so you don't wreck what's there. Um, but again, it's it's not a simple system by any means. Final question before I let you go. Mm-hmm. Um, I am a Kings fan, obviously, um, and I care about the dumbest of things. The player readings. How mm-hmm. are those? How are those scouted and decided? Do they actually matter? And how much, you know, negative comments and and uh, and angry letters and and messages you guys get saying, "What? How come this guy's, you know, not faster than that? How come his shots not harder than that? How come his overall rating is too low or too high?" Or, or not even fans, but the players reach out to you and make complaints. Oh yeah, there, yeah. There's players. Yeah, there's that was actually very uh, very early in uh, the cycle when I got to EA. Actually, uh, uh, Buffalo Saber Casey Middlestat wasn't looking for a rating. He was looking for his card in a hut which was mm-hmm. uh, interesting um and i it, people were unaware because not a lot of saber fans in the office like is that actually case we made us that that's that's casey middlestat so um you might want to reach out to him um there's a team that takes care of the overall ratings um obviously as the season goes on and and things play out ratings can get adjusted accordingly it's it's one of those really thankless jobs like i think you know if you're a fan of a specific team i you know even as a sabers fan i'm like geez some of these guys should have you know, X factors or, or superstar status because there can't be anybody other than uh, Jack Eichel, who was who was on the team uh, last year before he got dealt to Vegas. Um, so 
it goes through its cycle, it gets reviewed, we look at it, um, we try to make sure that it's, you know, as representative as possible. Obviously, fans are going to have different feelings. I mean, Madden, Madden has a very in-depth thing now where they're even engaging the community much, much more this year because it's uh, people care. And I think it's great that people care. You're never going to get it 100% right because you and I could probably debate Kings all day. And there's good good reasons you can make. I can come back with counters to that. At the end of the day, you try to end up in a good spot. But ultimately, you're never going to make everybody happy with ratings. If you want to come back on again and debate the Kings ratings, I'm happy to make this a recurring segment. That might, that might be an interesting thing to do. <laughs> well, we'll be in touch. Um, Mike, I'll let you go. I know you've got stuff to do today. Thank you so much for joining us. Great. Thanks for having me, Jesse. Joining me now is a name that uh, all of you should be familiar with, and I hope after this all of you will be with. I'm speaking to Wally Pleasant. How are you doing today, Wally? I'm doing great. Thanks, Jesse. Now, I'm going to tell a little story for the listeners, um, a lot of whom I think are, are of, a, of a younger generation. And so before YouTube existed and before social media existed, if you wanted to hear cool stuff and see cool stuff, you had to go looking for it. And Wally wrote a song that for years <laughs> has been stuck in my mind and I've and I have been a huge fan of and and I heard it on the Dr. Demento show, which was a program that cool. ran in Southern California, I want to say from midnight to two AM on Sundays, I think. If that's maybe it was Yeah, 10. and it was nationally syndicated. Yeah. It still yeah. is, I think. Yeah. Yeah, and so you could hear all uh. sorts of sort of funny songs, right? Um or or not all of them were funny. Some of them were just maybe not mainstream would be the way to say it. Does that sound accurate? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember the days when you'd hear something on the radio and then try to actively seek it out. I, right. <laughs> yeah, and then you'd make mixtapes. Yes, found something trade them with your other friends. Other people yeah. didn't have. <laughs> exactly, yeah. exactly. So you wrote a song called The Sons of Bob Dylan. And before I get into why the song resonated with me i'm curious to know what your intention was when you wrote sons of bob dylan uh my intention on that song was i think was talking about how the the reviewers of music and maybe art in general um they compare different things to other things rather than kind of taking the time and really, really talking about it. So like I had maybe read an article at one point, it said, talked about how every Bruce Springsteen was, was first known as like the next Bob Dylan. And, and then, you know, maybe other, other artists were in that category too. And it was just sort of like, um, I don't know, just, uh, just how how people would would compare you know that him with new new up-and-coming artists as if it was like the um i I, 
yeah, that's that's about it. <laughs> that's no, that's perfect. That's perfect because for years that was my takeaway from it. I remember hearing the song the first time, and I think I called my dad the next day, um, who was a huge Bob Dylan fan. And sorry, excuse me, <clears throat> my dad. Um, and 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 I I relayed the the concept of the song to him, which he found really amusing because one of the things that he and I frequently talk about is this notion that, um. You know, in the song, you have a lyric, I think, that Bob Dylan was the first Bob Dylan to be called the next Woody Guthrie. Um, yeah, build. Yeah, right, right. Yeah. And so the notion that, you know, truly great or not even great, but truly memorable artists or in, in the case that I'm about to talk to athletes, even if they're known as like the next Michael Jordan or whatever, if they're really good, they'll just be known as themselves and they'll have their own identity mm -hmm. and story. And so... The reason this this song stuck out in my mind for all these years and the reason I'm I wanted to talk about it now is that um, for my podcast, All the King's Men, that covers the L.A. Kings, we have these mantras that we sort of weave in and out of the episodes that I like to sort of remind people of. And right now we have some very young players who were selected very high in the draft and they are constantly being compared to these current players that are older, more established, you know, have won the Stanley Cup, have had these really long, impressive careers. But I always want to tell people to go listen to the song and say, you know, Brant Clark is not the next Drew Doughty. He's the first Brant Clark. Or Quentin Byfield is not the next Andre Kopitar. He's the first Quentin Byfield. Um, exactly, yeah. And and I'm a, I'm a big Detroit Pistons fan, and they're, they're doing the same thing um, with, with Cade Cunningham mm -hmm. uh, with comparing him to Grant Hill, right? <laughs> um, which, I mean, I've seen him play and he, it's can, kind of an accurate comparison, but it seems like it'd be harder to compare in hockey because there's so many, um, idiosyncrasies involved. And I, I don't know, like, it, yeah, it, it seems like it'd be more, more difficult to compare that. Well, let's talk about um, basketball and music. Cause, because those are your wheelhouse. Um, as an artist yourself, like, do you think that it, that being billed as the next fill in the blank, I mean, is that sort of, can that be harmful to, to someone, you know, to, to saddle them with these expectations of another person's life and career? I would think it would, it would be kind of limiting. Yeah. Um, I have like Jerry Stackhouse was, was compared to Michael Jordan when he was coming up. Right. And, <laughs> Who, who, you know, it, it would be impossible for anyone to fill those shoes. I, I could see uh, definitely how that would be um, kind of put more undue pressure on you and uh, kind of, I, it seems like it's like a cheap and easy way to, right. for, for writers to do it, do stuff too. Yeah. Yeah. The, one of the things I'm become fond of saying is that people don't quite understand, I think, what a grift um, crit critical writing is, whether it's sports writing or about movies or whatever. Like there are tricks that you just can lapse into um, to mm -hmm. just sort of fill time. Um, one of the other mantras that we like on this show is that happiness is measured by expectation. And so my interest in in not in being involved in those conversations of this guy is the next that guy you know, to your point about mm -hmm. about Stackhouse being compared to Michael Jordan, it feels to me like there were almost almost five or six years, if not a full decade, of guys being billed as the next Michael Jordan. And it wasn't really yeah. it wasn't really until LeBron James came along 
where he wasn't compared to the next Michael Jordan. There was just anticipation for him to be LeBron James. It feels like every guy prior to that, Kobe, Vince Carter, um, Vince Carter's cousin, whose name escapes, Tracy McGrady, um, anybody, yeah. anybody between 6'3 and 6'8, you know, who played the wing or guard was like, oh, the next Michael Jordan. And all of them had good careers, but none of them were another person. And so people were disappointed by them. And that seems... To me, to take away from the person and also from your own enjoyment of of the game or the music or whatever it is you're trying to enjoy. Yeah, and I think maybe like sometimes that comes from that comparison thing comes from local media that want to like sell newspapers and mm-hmm. say you know this th- then in, in as a result get the fans excited about it. And, um, and then the fans ultimately get let down because, you know, who, who's going to live up to being the next Michael Jordan. Right. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so, so yeah, I, I could, I could see, I could see that. Although uh, Cade Cunningham, he does look really good. I, I'm thinking <laughs> the Pistons are on the, on the move. Uh, um, it's weird. Like the, I was thinking about it just the other day and that song, um, the Bob Dylan song, um, I don't know how this happened, but when I wrote it, it was called um, "Song for Bob Dylan," mm-hmm. and then, um, and then, like on online, it says "Sons of Bob Dylan." I'm 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 totally cool with that, um, but it's it's just weird how like the name kind of just inadvertently changed <laughs> <laughs> the title. Well, let's talk <laughs> about the creative process then, um, because I'm always curious about it. Um, I have attempted to write. I didn't even write it. I attempted to help write one song in my life very recently, and I really just came up with the idea and then handed it off to some talented person who did the music and most of the lyrics. But when you have an idea like that, what's the time frame from conception of idea to when you step back and say, this is the song and I'm happy with how it is? You know, I don't think there's any rule to that. I've had songs that I've walked away from for for years and years and then come back to and finished. And then there's, there's songs that it, it feels like I'm going to forget the gist of it if I don't <laughs> just keep writing. Um, so I think both things work, you know, the, the, fortunately there's no, there's no rules. So if, if you don't finish something, you know, you don't have to feel like you're, it, it, it's never going to get done. If, if you're not feeling it, you know, move on to something else. Do you, do you experience that thing? Um, I've heard people talk about it where at some point you just have to force yourself to say, okay, I'm going to stop tweaking with this. You know, it's done. I'm done with this. It's finished. Cause I'll, you know, I'll noodle it to death if I don't. You know, I could, I could understand that. Um, that might be more true in literature. Um, but when I, um, practice a song that I've written, uh, sometimes I'm I'm not like in my mind I'm not tweaking it, but sometimes just practicing it I'll just think of new little little things and new new little details. So in effect I'm I'm tweaking it, but I'm not I'm not necessarily trying to or going in with that intent. If that makes any sense, it does. It's I was kinda, yeah. I was going back over your uh, your library, um, and. Honestly, finding a bunch of songs that you had written that I knew when I was, you know, that age, 
um, but that I didn't realize were also your songs. Um, and I realized that you had a, a pretty clear, it seems to me anyway, um, ideological standpoint that a lot of your music comes from. <laughs> um, I'm curious if you think that it is important as important today as it was when you wrote them. Ooh, that's a, that's a really good question. Um, do you want me to get more specific? <laughs> I think that, I think that the politically things, things change, um, over time, mm -hmm. obviously, but also I think as you get older, it's, it's hard to explain, but as you get older, maybe things aren't, aren't as black and white and you yeah. don't want to, I, I, and me personally, like, I don't want to call somebody out just because I don't agree with them about mm -hmm. one thing. Um, I I'm think that there's more words about, there's not many things about unity. And I'm kind of more about, about that now rather than, um, obviously, if it's a real um to issue like um, police brutality or something like that, you know, obviously I'm strongly <laughs> against that, <laughs> right. but if, if somebody's just uh, more conservative than I am or, or more liberal, not exactly the same, I'm, I don't think it, there's a reason to um, point at them and call them a heretic or something, you know? Well, I'll still, I'll, excuse me, but I will steer clear of the more um, political songs in your library. But I want to focus, if I could, briefly on Stupid Day Job, um, which I remember knowing when I was younger and not knowing that it was your song and listening to it today. And one of the things that um, that I see a lot of people talking about on you know social media and different friends and family members that I know all over the place is there's a lot more... Um, I'll say the younger generation seems to be a lot more comfortable advocating for themselves when it comes to stupid day jobs. <laughs> um, okay. And, and I, and I wonder, I just wonder like if I sent this, you know, if I sent stupid day job to my little sisters who are, you know, 27 and 19 years younger than me, um, I wonder uh -huh. if it would resonate with them the way it did with me when I had, a, you know, I worked at a coffee shop from when I was 15 to 18, I think. Um, and you know, did data entry and warehouse work and, you know, just stupid day jobs. Um, so you're was, saying like younger people are more accepting of that? Well, I feel like they're more, they're, they stand up for themselves more, you know, whereas where mm -hmm. I had a boss when I was 16 who told me to my face, he couldn't oh, wait, gotcha. couldn't wait for me to be 18 so he could punch me without, and not go to jail for it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, and I had, you know, I had employers that said, you know, you have to work this many hours to qualify for health insurance. And then they would send me home a half an hour early so that I never met that just stuff like that, you know, where I feel like there's a, there's a, a sense that uh, Gen Z, I guess they're called wouldn't stand up for that sort of thing. And I just wonder if, you know, stupid day job was such a great, um, just perfect encapsulation of, <laughs> of, of not liking. Oh, wow. Boss. Yeah. I never thought of it like that, but I, I know where you're coming from. It does seem like, you know, you're not that I go out of my way to be rude to anybody, but <laughs> if, if, if I woke up one morning and said, get dog on it, I'm going to pick somebody to be rude to, then it definitely wouldn't be uh, 
I, I, that's a weird scenario. I'm sorry. No, it's <laughs> I fine. <laughs> I, I wouldn't. It seems like I, I understand what you're saying. They, they, it does seem like younger younger folks do uh, are more likely to stand up for themselves in the in the work environment, and good for them. Yeah, yeah. We were we were kind of like um, put in situations that weren't weren't always healthy. You know, and, yeah. and uh, it's a very specific anecdote, but <clears throat> my father talks. He lives in a small town in South Carolina, and he complains that his Starbucks closes at two o'clock because they can't get anybody to work there, and they can't get anybody <laughs> to work there because none of the kids in the area feel like working for Starbucks, <laughs> closing shift and putting up with that. And then in your song, the lyric, um, "Every greasy smelling burger flipper, every short changing cashier, it's time to unite. I'll start a stupid day jobs union, and we can go on strike outside of every re- retail establishment." and fast food hellhole in the world. <laughs> and I just thought like, yeah, well, that's sort of where we're at. Anyway, it's nothing to do with hockey or art or anything. I just really liked the yeah, song. Yeah, <laughs> it's, to- it's a totally different environment now. I, I mm-hmm. think it, it was, you know, in the 90s, actually just having any job was like, whoa, I, I look at me, I'm doing something, I'm accomplishing. But now jobs are so plentiful that um, it, it's like, yeah, I think, everybody including younger folks have have more choices Mm -hmm. and Um, and just to sort of try and feebly tie it back to sports we see a lot of uh of athletes now standing up for themselves when it comes to treatment at the hands of the media right you have um simone biles and uh i'm blanking on the tennis player's name but who you know and there have been a number of uh of hockey players and basketball players who have come out and talked about the importance of their own mental health and not not being willing to sub- subject themselves to the grind just because we want them to. I don't know how sports figures can do that. They, they, you know, say like a football player has been in a, basically a, a battle for, for a couple hours and then they are supposed to calmly talk to the media for, you know, 30 minutes or something. And, and they're tightly scrutinized if they say, you know, I don't, I don't, that's, that's a real skill to have. I'm sure they're, their agents train them to to say the right thing and everything, but that's got to be difficult. One of the things I'm always very curious about is potential similarities between athletic performance and uh, more traditional versions of the word performance, whether it's acting or, or music or, or some combination of both. When you're performing live, um, are you able to be outside the moment and realize that you're performing or do you need to be you know, fully engrossed in what you're doing on stage and, and, and what you're doing at the moment. Uh, it depends on the atmosphere. It depends on the show. A lot of times, um, I'll, I'll get out of the moment and I'll kind of be singing the song, but in the back of my head, I'm thinking about what song I should play next (laughs) or, um, there's a part coming up in this song that I've had trouble with in the past. And what, what chord is that? Or how did I screw that up in, a, in the past? And how can I not screw that up come in the, you know, part coming up? Um, so yeah, I'm not, um, but then at the same time, I try to try to look around and try to, try to, you know, kind of, kind of get a feeling for how, how things are going. And I imagine there's, performing is performing you know there's a there's a lot going on and you um 
you will trying your best and want to come across a certain way. And I, I imagine there are parallels between that. I know that you've continued to put out uh, music. Um, do you still feel the same, you know, lightning strike of inspiration when you get an idea for a song or something you really want to say that you did, you know, 20 years ago? Yeah, uh, absolutely. I, I have, um, there, there's like the lightning strike kind of moment is if I'm, um, either start with music or start with a lyric. And when that lyric and that melody happen to, um, be real nice sounding together, that's kind of the, the lightning strike moment, I guess. I'm sure every song is probably its own experience, but do you find, do you prefer to start with lyrics or start with music or, or do they sort of happen at the same time? I think in the past I started with lyrics more. Um, as I've gotten older, I've probably it's about 50, 50. Um, sometimes I'll kind of start with a melody um, sometimes a chord progression, and then um, sometimes the chorus to a song, um, and then you you reflect back and you know think about what verses would match with that chorus. And sometimes you start with the verses, and uh, yeah, there's like I said before, there's no there's no set set rules, so it's uh, it's you know no limitations. About oh, almost a decade ago, I became really obsessed with tracking down songs written by artists about hockey teams. And I was able to find almost one song per team. I think there were two or three teams that didn't really have any songs written about them. And I didn't want covers and I didn't want, um, you know, short gimmicky things. I wanted like a full song that you could listen to and enjoy. Mm -hmm. And like I said, I found about one, maybe out of, at the time there were 30 teams. I think I found 28 songs, maybe 29. I sort of cheated on one. Um, I'm curious, <laughs> I'm curious if you've ever, uh, been in, wanted to write about the Pistons, for example. Um, you know, the, the Detroit team, that would be real, um, real perfect for a song. And I think Jeff Daniels has already written a song about the Detroit lions, but there's so much history of, you know, it'd be of sadness really. <laughs> um, and, uh, I, I makes me want to listen to his song again, but I, I think that's the most poetic, you know, they're, the, they're like the Cubs of the NFL, the, the way the Cubs were for a long time. Anyway, is, uh, is the song the but, silver and Honolulu blues by any chance? <laughs> Uh, is that yeah? I I don't know. Is that uh, is that the title of it? I just googled Jeff Daniels Detroit Lions song and that popped up. So I'm assuming that's <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah. I didn't remember the title, but um, yeah, there's there's definitely a lot there. I mean, just last week, I don't know if you watched the highlights, but they actually played really well in the second half, and they were it looked like they were going to win like so so many times, and then the play clock runs out for like two seconds. They don't call a penalty. So they don't. So it gives Baltimore an opportunity to kick a 66 yard field goal, which hits the upright and then bounces over 
for the game-winning last-second field goal. It's like so typical of of the Lions. It's one of those things like you say, okay, I can see this is this is going to happen, and it's going to be so typical of everything that I've seen. But I but I still you know watch them no matter what their record is. I you know just I don't know. You can't. I think they call it die hard, cry hard. You can't just <laughs> walk away. I've been doing this my whole life, so I can't. Yeah, so I'm. I'm committed. I'm. I'm really spoiled in that the LA Kings won the Stanley Cup twice in recent memory, and prior mm-hmm. to that, they were. I think you could comfortably say a tortured franchise, um, not as tortured as say like the Minnesota Vikings or you know the Chicago Cubs or the Boston Red Sox were before they before the Cubs and Red Sox won but you know we had an appearance in the Stanley Cup final that went tragically wrong off of an obscure penalty that never gets called and then you know a couple really painful yeah. pe- playoff uh, disappointments and then just years and years of not making the playoffs but now that the team has won the Stanley Cup twice i can look at it all with a sort of amusement um and say, mm-hmm. oh yeah, well that's you know that, that's rough, but that's why you're a sports fan, right? Because then the good times are great, but there's so many teams that don't have those good times. But I'm curious in your own experience as a sports fan, um, I think those miserable losses and and comic failures are almost the point and what makes all of it worthwhile. Um, mm-hmm. But like I said, I'm spoiled. I'm curious, and I'm just going to plumb you for your agony. Um, I'm curious <laughs> as a fan of teams. Yeah, that, I mean, although I guess Detroit, the Pistons won uh, in what 2004. So I mean, you've you got to see a championship. Sure, yeah, and they they two they 89, 90. So yeah, they're they've been uh, productive. And but it's like with the Lions, it's like it's I don't know. I, I'm beyond getting angry and upset. You know, they, it's like watching like a sad home or something and you you kind of know that it's not going to work out in the end but you go in with this anticipation you know well look at look at these draft picks they got and look look they're really changing the attitude and i can see this really working out and the the refs are never on their side not to be too complaining about that but i mean they they literally change nfl rules that based on things that the Lions have been screwed over on and uh but I, I didn't watch the yeah, game. Yeah, not but not I, really I, anger I, at this point. Just just like it's like it's like a long, epic, sad poem <laughs> at this point. Uh do you follow the Tigers and Red Wings at all? I uh I follow the Tigers. Um I I love the Red Wings. I'm I'm got to admit I'm not um huge hockey person, which I I shouldn't say on the show, no, but that's all right. um but at least I'm like, you know, being honest about sure. it. But it's a great hockey town and and I loved them when they were in you know, back in the nineties when they were when they were really awesome and they were like always having these physical altercations with the Colorado Avalanche. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that was the good times and they had all the Russian dudes on their team, and um, incidentally, like I was when I was a kid, I went out to Southern California um, and visited my aunt and uncle, and they were huge Kings fans. And I remember them talking about the Kings at that time. I remember them talking about like the goalie Rogi Vishan mm-hmm. or something. Yeah, yeah. and uh, 
um, so yeah, I, I, um, that must've been maybe during the time when they weren't, weren't as good, but yeah, that um, definitely would have been, um, although he was, he was great. Um, but yeah, it was only until very recently that they were able to, uh, to figure it all out. Um, well, I really appreciate you coming on and talking to me about all this today. Uh, thank you. Oh yeah, I had a blast. And uh, if it's okay uh, with you, I'd like to play um, at least a song for Bob Dylan uh, at the end of this conversation. Yeah, or it could be Sons of Bob Dylan. Sons, too. I'm, right. I'm cool about it. Do I need uh, Do I need permission <laughs> or anything? I'm not going to get in trouble with any. Uh... Uh, no, no, I'd okay. be I'd be absolutely thrilled. Definitely. All right, excellent. Perfect. Then, uh, then stick around, King's fans, and you can hear uh, "Sons of Bob Dylan" and maybe even "Stupid Day Job." And Wally, uh, I wish you and the Detroit Lions all the best moving forward. Okay, thank you very much. Bob Dylan Who was billed as the next Woody Guthrie He traveled this land with pen in hand And wrote about what a mess it was in Bob Dylan was the first Bob Dylan Lou Reed was the next Bob Dylan And he was ready Able and willing To study the urban landscape With a cynical grin He wrote about S&M and heroin Lou Reed was the next Bob Dylan and the next Bob Dylan is waiting around the corner And the next Bob Dylan is waiting around the bend And the next Bob Dylan is the flavor of the week on MTV Singing about hypocrisy Bruce Springsteen was the next Bob Dylan A working class blue collar spokesman Columbia Records found him on the Jersey Shore Rolling Stones is the future of rock and roll Bruce Springsteen was the next Bob Dylan Tom Petty was the next Bob Dylan A late 1970s Bob Dylan Phil And he could really rock and roll with his heartbreakers Now he's got season tickets to the Lakers Tom Petty was the next Bob Dylan And I want to be the next Bob Dylan yeah, I'll make my imitation calculated and cheap. I'll sing songs with a raspy attitude voice. And people will think that I'm deep. Let's think about it. Billy Bragg, John Wesley Harden, Jackson Brown, even the lead singer from Motley Crue has a little Bob Dylan in him. And the Bob Dylan wannabes keep falling from the trees. Greenwich Village still has an overflow. And the critics gather around to find that next Bob Dylan sound. But I want you to remember this. Before I go, Bob Dylan was the first Bob Dylan who was billed as the next Woody Guthrie. He traveled this land with pen in hand and wrote about what a mess it was in. Bob Dylan was the first 
and only Bob Dylan. Well, I wake up in the morning and I crawl out of bed and I feel just like the living dead. It's time to start another day. And as usual, I'm running late. So my mind starts going 100 miles an hour. Don't even have time enough to take a shower. When I get in my car, it feels like I'm barely alive. Ten minutes later, I arrive at my stupid day job. Stupid day job. My stupid, 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 stupid day job. Well, I drink three cups of coffee for that extra kick, but I still feel crappy. I should have called in sick. My boss has a late for a meeting at 10. Looks like I'll be written up again. Oh, well, it's just another day. Another dollar, another nail in the coffin, another reason to feel smaller. Sometimes I wish you could just drive off far away, but my lack of financial security means I'll have to stay at my stupid day job. Stupid day job. My stupid, 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 stupid day job. Now I think it's time everyone with a stupid day job unite against the forces that try to control us. Yes, every paper cut written file clerk, every greasy smelling burger flipper, every short change in cashier, it's time to unite. I'll start a stupid day jobs union, and we can go on strike outside every retail establishment and fast food hellhole in the world fight the power and our platform will stand for dignity higher wages and no more polyester uniforms and i could be the spokesman for the underemployed yeah i'll be like the jimmy hoffa of the janitors or the gandhi of the gas station attendants but some people won't agree with my ideas so they'll kill me and then i could be a martyr for the stupid day jobs movement yeah that'd be pretty cool i think now i wrote all that stuff about the stupid day jobs union while i was on my lunch break but I couldn't write any more because I had to get back to work. So let's just pretend that I ended that part of the story with lyrics that were so inspiring that they changed all your lives forever. Are you done pretending? Okay. Now it's after lunch and I'm making copies while daydreaming about my vacation. I see myself lounging on the beach in an exotic location suddenly my tie gets caught in the copy machine right in the middle of duplications and as i lie there choking to death all i can think about is workman's compensation but then the office manager comes by cuts my tie saving me from suffocation he looks at me like i'm a jerk and says get back to work and I feel so much frustration at my stupid day job. Stupid day job. My stupid, 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 stupid day job. Well, I'm working for my family and I'm working for God. I'm working so people won't say I'm a lazy slob. I'm working to put food on the table. And I'm working so I can say, look for that union label. I'm working so I can buy stuff that I don't need. And I'm working because nobody will pay me to watch TV. Now basically I feel so traumatized about my stupid day job that I'm gonna try to start singing like Morrissey now. Stupid day job, stupid day job, stupid day job, stupid day job, stupid day job. Sucks to be a tortured artist.